This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Green and White, the weekly Argyle Life podcast. I'm your host Josh and with us this week we have Adam. Hello. We've got Finn. Hi. And this week we have a very special guest, uh, Peter, who you may know of as Bury Me in Exile. Um, we'll come on to, we'll come on to uh, a little bit about that as we go on. Just a quick reminder before we get started uh, that for all the articles and up-to-date Argyle news and analysis... Uh, make sure you check us out, Argo Life on Facebook and Argo Life 1886 on Twitter and on Instagram. And you can also check Peter out on Twitter, Bury Me in Exile and BurryMeInExile.com. Um, you can also make sure you don't miss another podcast by subscribing to Green and White on Spotify or on iTunes, where the new episode is uploaded each week. Uh, it was another good week for Plymouth Argyle. Uh, another 1-0 win, this time away at, at the time, league leaders Forest Green Rovers. Uh, everyone's seen the game this week, uh, apart from myself. Uh, so I'll open up to Adam for his little, well, let's have a little lowdown on the game, Adam. How did, how did you think it went? Yeah, it's an odd one, I think. And I don't think I'm alone in that thought, in the sense that I thought we'd seen the back of this performance. Not that that's a bad thing. I mean... It was a back-to-the-wall job. It was score early, defend out the rest of the game, uh, shithouse it a little bit. But can we say that? Shithouse it a little bit? I'll let Nick decide. Think, yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah. But but anyway, I mean, it's a classic Derek Adams performance in at League 2 level. I mean, we did what we had to do away from home to the league leaders, and we got a result. And as as great as that is, it's simply a case that I thought we we wouldn't be having those performances again. I thought we were, were set for a season of all-out attack and we may well lose these games. So it's hard not to be pleased, to be honest, that we've picked up a result that I certainly didn't anticipate. But yeah, very much an odd one. I think praise has to go out to a few surprise candidates, really. I mean, the defence as a whole operated very, very well, limiting them to, I think, maybe one or two decent chances across the game. I think they had a tough chance with Aitchison's volley. And then in the last few minutes in stoppage time, when they sent Mills on up front, it was a bit chaotic. But aside from that, they did not create a great deal at all. And I think praise has to go to our defence. And dare I mention Scott Wooten, who had a very, very good game for, for that sort of thing. Yeah. And mm. I mean, 
I think going forward as well, as much as we didn't create a lot, I mean, most of our chances, I think all of our chances, in fact, came from set pieces. I mean, Sartovic got, got himself the winner, showed a few nice touches as well. I think I remember a back heel that set Byron Moore away that was particularly eye-catching in the first half before we scored. So, yeah, it, it, it's a surprising one. It's a good one. It's players I didn't think I'd be praising, a performance I didn't think I'd be appraising. But here we are, winning 1-0 away at a team that was top of the league in a league that's now very tight. And I think the optimism's just starting to seep in a little bit again. Mm, certainly. Um, you take out a, well, the the anomaly of a result that we're all aware of. We don't have to go into too much detail on. Yeah, um, we've said enough. It's actually, we've, we've yeah, said enough. <laughs> Everyone knows what I'm talking about straight away. Uh, we do seem to be in half-decent form. I don't know what our, our record is over the last however many games. Uh, if only we had Nick here. Um, I never thought I would say that. Um, <laughs> we'll record that. Uh, yeah, we'll record that. That is not that's not leaving the podcast. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I think we, we seem to be in relatively decent form. Um, any thoughts on the game, Finn? Yeah, um, very much similar to the Bolton game. I think really um, sort of grab the goal and uh, uh, a back to the wall performance. Um, and when I say back to the wall, I mean defend well. But we didn't really have much in this, of the ball in the second half and. Uh, I think, like Adam said, it was very much of a sort of Derek Adams performance, if you like. Um, but I'm I'm pleased to see that because I think over the last few weeks, like you said, the result we don't have to mention now because everyone knows what it is. Um, mm. That signified, and I think that um, that we're too easy to beat, and I think that that's been a massive learning curve. So, if anything, if this makes sense, it was kind of a bit of a positive because I think they needed that bump to realise they might need to change. Um, slightly the way they play away mm. from home or um, just their philosophy I'm not sure with the current squad we have yeah yeah it's, I get it's that it's nice I that mean, we can yeah we can mix it's, up a little bit it's one of those where I mean it would have been nice for that wake-up call to happen in literally any other game but yeah it, it, it is very much a case that you feel there's been a slight change in what we do when we say back to the raw, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We've defended as we've needed to, made ourselves difficult to beat rather mm. than the pushovers we might have seen three weeks ago. Yeah, and Forest Green isn't going to exactly be a stroll in the park, is it? So no, of course not, of course not. So, yeah, but plenty of positives to take from it. Whether we can replicate that performance a few times over the course of the season remains to be seen. I mean... You, you wouldn't expect a Ryan Lowe side, and I I know Peter's seen much more of a, of a Ryan Lowe side than, than many of us have, to be honest. So you wouldn't expect a Ryan Lowe side to put that performance in too much this season. And can mm. we rely on Sartovic and Wooten to continue performing the way they are? Yeah, Jury's out. Question. But I mean, yeah, it, it, it it's hard not to be encouraged, at least. Very much so. Um, actually, it makes sense to bring, to bring Peter in on this one. Obviously, you saw a lot of Barry last season. Um, one of the main attractions, I suppose, from Ryan Lowe was uh, supposed to be the style of football. How did what you saw on Saturday compare to what you would have seen over the course of last season? Um, to be honest, it was actually quite similar to the performance away at Forest Green for Barry, even though they won that game 2-1. That was pretty even. It was one quite attritionally it was actually one in I think it was the last minute through Nicky Maynard but sort of after the turn of the year when away form was picking up again actually there were quite a lot of performances quite similar to the one on Saturday okay. not necessarily backs to the wall I'm not I'm not sure I buy it. it was all backs to the wall on Saturday yes Forest Green had the possession which they were always going to do at home that's the style of play they have they were quite compact they tried to 
Plymouth on the break. Yeah, okay, but I never, I never had that sense as a neutral watching it that oh, any minute now, Forest Green are gonna score from open play or anything like that. As soon as Plymouth went one nil up, it was as though there wasn't really much creativity from a home perspective as to how they were gonna break down the three man defence, which stood quite stoutly for me. Like, like has already been suggested. Um, yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't say it was a a bad performance from Plymouth on Saturday, and it was, as you say, it was quite reminiscent of quite a few, particularly away performances after the turn of the year, which helped ensure promotion. Mm. It's probably probably is somewhat of a of a throwback to to what we saw in the Derek Adams, uh, whereby uh, this the back three that we're playing now, and again, this is where sometimes I really do wish we had Nick for these stats. Um, <laughs> Adam, you might be aware the back three that we've got now. How many clean sheets are we up to? I think that's, that's seven nine now in between the league, them. Or seven, yeah. Sorry, it's seven, seven in with that defence that we're playing. Ten? I mean, ten games, yeah. Seven clean sheets. I think that'd be six conceded in those ten games. And I think that's Nick mentioned last week lot. that was three of them at Northampton. So I mean, if yep. you take out that anomaly, if you like, it would be what nine games, seven clean sheets, three goals conceded, and the rest of them. It's not bad. Yeah. That's that's very impressive for for Niall Canavan, a, a left back who's only started playing at centre back primarily this season, and and Scott Wooten. <laughs> it's quite extraordinary, if anything. Um, and the fact that they they look assured as well, not just it's not just fluky clean sheets, but actually limiting chances. Yeah, um, I was just going to say. Um, actually, I, I had Peter say there that he never really felt that Forest Green were going to uh, necessarily score. But obviously, as you know, I was sat in a home end, so I had Forest Green fans behind me. And um, this uh, fan sat behind me said that, um, or I heard him say that, we, um, I think we're going to score in a minute, which just shows you in terms of the the scale that they've been uh, playing at this season, um, you know, they're almost expecting to score, which makes the win even more, um, I guess it makes it a better win, if you like, to go there and get three points is not an easy feat. Yeah, I mean, I had a similar feeling, I think. I mean, maybe that's just a bit of natural Argyle pessimism on my part when they started. I think particularly when they bought Mills on, it looked like we were set up for disaster, to be honest. But now, t- to be fair, that we, we stood firm when we needed to. We, I think it was very much a case of needs must. We did what we had to. I don't think that's the way Lowe likes to play football. And I think... It may perhaps have been a choice if he has a better squad that he wouldn't have played that way. But, you know, as as I think a, a, a lot of us have said, it was the sort of performance we, we perhaps weren't used to seeing, but the sort of performance we needed to see to encourage us that we can win a different way and we can grind out those performances and, and get the victories that we need. Yeah, I think in League Two you've got to be you've got to be able to mix it up a little bit and particularly you've got to be hard to beat because uh, it, to get the number of points that you need to finish in the top three, you've got to have games where you can defend and you can see out a lead. Um, of course, yeah. Of course, I don't know I mean... whether it's something that might have been, it's something that Derek Adams did absolutely fantastically. I am convinced that if Derek Adams was the manager now, um, if he hadn't left, that that we would be in a, a higher position than we are right now. And that's not a, a diss against Lowe, but it's just because I think... I wonder at times whether the style that we, well, the style that Lowe wants to play suits a team that is higher up in the football pyramid because you, it requires better footballers to, to do it. If you take 
Um, the football philosophy as a whole, yes. But if you take Derek Adams as a character, no, because we know all know that went a bit sour. So, and also I've got to think that you know Lowe's still a young manager, so he's still learning himself. Um, he of said course. at the start of the season we got um, we don't really want to go to Plan B, but maybe he's um, realised that not just his squad but League Two as a whole. Maybe you know he has to be has to have a Plan B because when I, when he was talking about having um, not wanting to use a plan B, um, that all felt a bit naive to me because I'm thinking, well, sometimes you're going to have to. It's not all about playing pretty football. But I must add also that even though we had a Derek Adams kind of performance, I still thought we put a few moves together, which I had um, had a low uh, blueprint on it, like the short corner. I think they've been working on that and that's very much an attacking move. Yeah. It almost feels um, like... Uh, yeah tactical evolution sort of thing if you like I think um whilst you know we, we're, we're all encouraged I think by attacking football it's what we all want to see whether we've spent a season seeing it or whether we want to spend a season seeing it I mean it's it's the way we want to see the game played but yeah at the same time I I, I do agree it's a sort of thing that when Lowe says he doesn't want to go to a plan B, I think, well, that's completely fair enough. If plan A works all the time, I think that that game that we don't mention proves that it doesn't. And I mean, the fact that we have not necessarily since developed a plan B, but had a bit of a tactical evolution in the sense that we're recognising the defensive side a bit more. We're, you know, experiencing you know, those clean sheets that perhaps we didn't expect. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have expected to be sat here with a, a three-man defence that had kept you know, seven clean sheets in ten. You know, mm. it's Particularly it's with those personnel that, as well. Well, no, exactly, exactly, from what we saw last season. So, I mean, it it is encouraging in, in that sense. I certainly think, as Finn's mentioned, that Lowe, as a young manager, is developing his style. I think if we get that blend together where we can entertain the fans at home and perhaps grind out those performances and victories away it it could be a good campaign yeah I mean look we're talking as if we're it we're we're in 11th place in the league we're saying we may be higher if if Derek Adams is there I don't have any strong views either way on that one but five points off second at this stage we've played 17 games I mean across a 46 game season you're going to have those spells and you're going to have those games where you don't play particularly well and sometimes you might get demolished 4-0 yeah. by your local rivals but yeah if I, we... I would yeah sorry Go do I finish off with what you put, you're saying that was about interrupt. it really yeah okay I was going to say just to clarify I wouldn't have kept it's not to say that I would keep Derek Adams oh, no, that I would want not. him back or that I would rather have him and Ryan Lowe um, it was more a case of because of because of the way that he sets up games can be a, to potentially more successful it's a little bit of um, well there's no way really um, what's, what's the word straw manning I guess to, to an extent because there's not really any way that we can say would or wouldn't and it's not really relevant anyway um, but I do think the adaptability argument's an interesting one and certainly as a, as a young manager still very inexperienced certainly to have um to have got a job far away from, well, I'm imagining very different circumstances to, to the one that Barry found themselves in. Um, certainly, to to an extent, anyway, in location, geographically, um, and and the whole team as well is very different. And it's important to be adaptable because you're not going to go from club to club and have exactly the same set of players that are playing exactly the same set of um, exactly the same way um, for whatever reason. Um, and, and adaptability is important. I think any any football manager would, would probably tell you that. Did you, you know how to f- to frame this question? But to Peter, I guess what 
was there sort of any level of adaptability you saw last season in the tactics? Because one thing that we've noted in the past on certainly on this podcast, and, and I think we've talked about on Argyle Life, there's been articles on, uh, is actually there's been no sign ever of moving away from, from the formation that, that Lowe wants to play. I'm guessing that you saw no movement away from it last season. Um, it's I, not I can't that... recall a single game which wasn't a 3-5-2 or a very slight variation mm. of a 3-5-2. Yeah, we we played, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but I think we played 3-4-3 three, three briefly, didn't we? We for, did, yeah, for, for like part that, of a game was it or two. Mansfield or something like that, that yeah. sort of time around then and then kept the same for, oh, it might have been Scunthorpe after, I'm not entirely sure, something yeah. like that and, and ditched that pretty quickly, I think. But yeah, it's always been a variant or something. I mm. think the system, I think the system is the same if you like, but it's the difference between having Josh Grant as a CDM or having an Adam Randall or previously would have been a Jose Baxter had he still been here, you know, or someone who's a ball player, more of a ball playing uh, CDM. So he might go for a more ball playing CDM at home, but I think that three at the back turns into a five at the back when you have Josh Grant, you know, an extra centre back behind the ball if you like. It certainly does in something, game. doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, considering, I mean, at the weekend, I think Josh Grant completed six tackles, I think it was, and I, no one on the field even completed half of that. So it's certainly a very different player that you've got in that deep midfield role as compared to, as you mentioned, Finn, either a Baxter or a Randall, maybe necessarily an Edwards to an extent as to how they play, although I do appreciate <laughs> that he likes to nip in a fair bit. But yeah, it... I, I think Grant generally, and I know we discussed him last week, has impressed again. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people at the, at the game mentioned to me how well he was playing in, in that defensive midfield role. I think there was a lot of me that's delighted he wasn't in the back three considering that his performance when he was last there. But that's, you know, something that's in the past now and it, he's encouraging in his new role. And I mean, it, it would be childish to drop him, I think, based on current form. So hopefully he can keep it going forward in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. And enables Edwards to move out to the right hand side where he's done. Um, I didn't see what he was like on Saturday, obviously. So um, I think he gives us more than Riley. Yeah, I, I, from what I've seen, I, I certainly agree. He's, more he's than a little Riley, bit more. yes. Would he give more than, for example, a Cooper or maybe even a Josh Grant or a Byron Moore on that wing? I don't Defensively, know. Defensively, maybe. Defensively, perhaps, yeah. I mean, but then again, you've got the argument that Riley, you'd probably argue, would be the best defensive option there. And of course, in a Ryan Lowe system, you're probably going to want someone that can go forward. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm only speculating, really. I don't think Joe Edwards has necessarily done badly out there. I don't think he's been great, but I don't think he's been bad. But I mean, going forward long term, would I want to see a more attacking option out there, a more creative option? Possibly. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see if we mix it up a bit. I mean... We've got the cup game coming up. It might be an opportunity to experiment with one or two things, particularly if it's if it's Bristol Rovers and we wouldn't be expected to win the game. So it'll be interesting to see where we go. Oh, that's a that's a brave call saying that we should risk things against Rovers. Well, I mean, with the possibility of a the third better. round, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't risk anything. I play a very strong team. Game. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, if there's if there's a chance to try out something that could improve things long term, then then why not? I don't think other other than Cooper. I don't think I. I mean, a third round can be Mike as much of a Liverpool away as it can be a Port Vale away. So It can be, but it's worth the risk, isn't it? We all remember what happened when we played Liverpool away. Especially with the new grandstand opening as well. That would be exactly. Oh, that would be exciting. Yeah, yeah very much so. Um, ben, did you have any questions? It makes sense to move on to it. Any questions that you wanted to ask Peter? Yes. Um, well, first of all, it was about the adaptability that we covered. But also... Um, 
do you do you think that um, to play the way that uh, Ryan Lowe wants to play, he needs a a sort of a J O'Shea type of player that he didn't manage to get really. I mean, he's got it in his locker, but I'm not sure it. And with George Cooper, but I'm not sure if he can play there. So does he have to carry on playing with the players he's got, um, or uh, do we have to wait to see the full uh, maximization of his system? and try and get a player that's a bit more like Jay O'Shea, if that makes sense. Yeah, possibly, though. Again, I was quite impressed with Sarsovic on Saturday. I've always been impressed with him whenever I've seen him play, especially when I used to be at Fleetwood. But um, did, did uh, Plymouth need somebody exactly like Jay O'Shea? I'm not so sure. Uh, possibly, like it's already been discussed, somebody more attack-minded at right wing-back, but who still has something about him in defence. Like, I heard Byron Moore there. I mean, yes, he has played at wing-back. Yes, he, at Fabera, yes, he played at wing right wing-back late on on Saturday, but I wouldn't advocate that as a long-term option. I mean, normally when Ryan Law did that at Berry, it was when Berry were chasing the game, not when they were trying to preserve a lead. And it's like the most attack, attack-minded wing-back option <laughs> almost there could possibly be. Yeah, we've seen Cooper, George Cooper, there uh, a couple of times, and he, he seems to have done okay there. Um, but it's almost been a we haven't used him for for a real long run of games. I don't think have we not as a starting player. Um, I don't know whether he maybe he's just been a, at the moment we've talked about with a an ever so slight change in system and the way that we're setting up. Maybe he's just been a little bit more cautious. Um, Probably need somebody to bring out of defence, or uh, uh, like you said about um, Josh Grant, somebody who can carry the ball forwards as well as defend. You know, mop up in front of the Freeman defence. I think that's that's what he really got with um, Jordan Ross when he came on loan from Rangers in January. And it was, yeah, I it mean, was he like was a the, massive the part of that. He's a massive part of how he got promoted. Uh, you know, just by seeing the highlights, you could see how much he did. And I was a bit disappointed that we weren't able to get him on loan again. Because, but yeah, just in we might in, just in our attempts to sign everyone from Berry last season. <laughs> uh, um, we we missed out on possibly uh, possibly a few of the more key players actually, but uh, going by what it seems. Um, but uh, yeah, that DM role is one of the most crucial roles in in the setup. Really, I mean, I mean. I know some people have disagreed. Some people who aren't on the podcast this evening have disagreed. Um, uh, the take on Joe Edwards in, in that DM role is as good as he is off the ball. Sometimes sometimes I was trying to think how to phrase this. I don't know whether he's the best player to bring the ball out from the back at times. His short passing is not bad, but if you compare him to someone, someone who Argyle had for a number of years in that role in David Fox, his passing range was not the same and he was not as comfortable bringing the ball out under pressure, certainly. Um, whether Josh Grant changes that and that that does help the sides um, might be an interesting question. It'd be interesting to see some some stats on... on uh, to do to do with those two and their, their passing and see how they compare um, and whether that does make a difference or not. Um, I know Adam Randall's obviously a hot prospect. It'd be great, I think, long term to see him moved into into that role because him getting a little bit more game time there. Um, someone who brings the ball out from the back well. Don't know whether he's ready yet. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should start him and that be that. Um, 
but I'd certainly like to see him introduce start start looking at getting more minutes if if the time comes that it's available. And now, if sorry, if the time comes, that's the the, the right moment to do so. Um, and obviously, with uh, with Josh Grant now, we we've won a couple of games in a row with him playing there, so it'd be very difficult to argue against him staying there for now. I sorry, I guess moving him from now between Grant and Edwards, if you like, would be more to look at the style we've been playing when they've both been on the field. You look at Edwards' successes, that was very much when he was in that position early on in the season, when we were focused on keeping possession, when we were looking to you know play it short, as you've mentioned, a short passing is pretty good. And that kept the team ticking well. In recent weeks, with the you know, switch to the territorial style, the you know, long ball up to try and play the strikers in behind and things like that, as we met, I, I, I don't see... Edward is long pass, and I know I know quite a few on this podcast would agree in the sense that I don't feel his long pass is quite as good as his short pass. I don't think it's necessarily as bad as as some like to claim, but I mean, with passing, I guess being less important, or the short passing element being less important from that defensive midfield role, it it wouldn't allow Edwards to shine quite as much as it would had we still been playing that possession based style, and I suppose. Conversely, that's what's helped Josh Grant in the sense that that passing element, which Edwards, I, to be honest, wouldn't have much doubt is better at, isn't necessarily as important. The tackling element and, you know, the, the defensive attributes may well be because we're not having quite as much of the ball. And that's allowed Grant's strength to come to the fore a little more. So I think the style of play may be helping Grant in that position. And if we're going to stick with it, then keeping him there would, would make total sense. If we wanted to go back to, I, I guess, Lowe's trademark, if you like, of keeping the ball at this level, Edwards, for my money, is probably a better option long term. But yeah, as you say, the way the way Grant's playing at the minute, it, it it's certainly worth sticking with for now. Possibly, but like we saw at Newport, for example, when when they sat very very deep and they they sat with two banks of five, I think. Um, a number of times to to stop us from playing, and actually Joe Edwards didn't have much impact on the game because he didn't have the technical and the the distribution skills to be able to break lines. Um, in the same way that someone like Adam Randall or the man that we did bring on, I think at the time, which was Baxter, and we played him in the DM role. Um, so I think although he retains the ball well, I'm not sure in terms of building play as such whether he's the best player for it. I um, I was just gonna. Um question whether because obviously we've played Bolton and Forest Green so you know Bolton are a club in the division up no matter their points difference they're probably uh, you know because of the troubles they've had but in terms of the actual team they're not the worst in League One but they've that they've put together and also and so that's a tough game and then Forest Green obviously were top prior to this game um, so it'd be interesting to see whether we go more positive at home and it's just about the opposition we've played in the last two games. Because I would want to see us go more positive against Bradford on Saturday. I'm all for, you know, grinding out wins. And that's good away from home. And it's good to know that we can do both sides of it as such. But, I, I you know, I, I want to... I, I, the reason I wanted low so much is because I've heard about, you know, this football that gets people off their feet. And although we've seen glimpses of that, of that we haven't seen a whole performance like that. Um, so, the difficulty is, is obviously... You want to put someone more positive in CDM in terms of you know how they can pass the ball and move the ball forward in CDM, and if you put that at home, that means having to change Josh Grant and Edwards potentially every week, and I'm not sure what that's going to do for the balance of the team. Yeah, um, 
yeah, it'd be interesting to see how we do line up on Saturday. Obviously, Bradford are a, are a decent side in the league, um, but it is a home game, first home game in a little while. Uh, Peter, would you say that last season there was a much, like a much of a difference in how Barry set up at home compared to away, or was it sort of there wasn't any change depending on maybe who you played rather than generically home and away? I wouldn't have said there was a marked difference, to be quite honest. I mean, obviously, you'd expect them to have slightly less of the ball away, but especially, as I say, I keep going back to roster. As soon as he came in, it was it was like the perfect sort of individual for an away game. Somebody who could really get stuck in, intercept everything, you know, tackle cleanly, and then have a range of passing to relieve the pressure on the defence. Whereas, obviously, you're kind of talking about Edwards and... Um, Grant has been like sort of two sides of two opposite sides of the coin, as in one can do one but not the other, and then one can do one not the other. So even needs somebody new there. I don't I don't know if there's funds available in January or if it's something Lars look looking at. But if 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 it's about replicating how you did with Barry last season, probably would have to be somebody new there. But I, there wasn't genu- genuinely wasn't really a marked difference between how Lars set up away from mm-hmm. home they get interviewed before every game and after it and say oh, I went out there to get to go on the attack and to win the game and uh, 99 times out of 100 that's exactly how it would you know seem in front of you it wasn't you know it wasn't just bluster that's how it would actually be yeah no, I think this is um, it's a relatively recent thing as well that we've seen in terms of changing changing how we set up as well um, so I think it will be interesting and, and as Finn says they're, they're two difficult games top of the league and a team in the league above uh, a team in the league above who just won their won their first league game as well I think or had started to, to pick up a little bit and I think they won again on the weekend didn't they? Yeah um, last minute Daryl Murphy Yeah was... so two decent yeah. teams that we've played um, and we've set up to win the game in whatever way we have, and and we've done it successfully. So, whether that that's a long term thing, it'd be interesting to see, and certainly how that compares to Saturday as well. Yeah, I think, um, like we've only got bar- for low, we've really only got last season to go off. So obviously, last season was a success, which is great, but we've seen the players that he had in, uh, you know, had mm. in the team last season that brought him that success, and we haven't seen. Okay, we've had an inconsistent start, but we haven't really seen him go through a, a sort of different period. So because we've only got this one thing to go off, it's sort of the thing we're basing everything off. Um, and whether you know he obviously he'll want to replicate his side because that got promoted, but he might have, like we said before, changed his philosophy slightly and and might want to go for different players in January. So we're talking about Barry last season, but in terms of you know Plymouth Argyle and what he wants, yeah. what he sees the club. Uh, you know what aspirations he has his 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 philosophy might change quite a lot on that if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, yeah, it seems no disappointment. And he did say, I believe, I believe he said that there there is um, room to bring players in in January as well. Um, and he's talking about certainly seems to be making noise well. about it, about agents approaching yeah. him and things like that. So I'd be surprised if we didn't see anything. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't well, stop yeah, so does everyone, does don't they? Yeah. Derek Adams didn't, did he? He did keep it, keep very. There's a massive difference in personalities. The two managers, one who clearly didn't care about the the press conferences, and one who 
convinced would let them go on for hours on end if he had the choice. <laughs> um, it's completely different in personality. Um, sometimes I think it is refreshing to have that change as well. People find it. People ended up finding it quite frustrating last season at times. Um, what Adams was like with his press conferences. So it's something a little bit different, at least. Um, catering to all tastes, I guess we could say. Very diplomatic. Very diplomatic. What what a very diplomatic way of phrasing that. I'm quite impressed with myself. <laughs> um, I just think what we can go on to. Um, quite interested. Um, I've not I've not followed the situation as much as maybe others have. Um, and certainly while you're on the podcast, it'd be good to. It's interesting to find out um, a little bit away from Plymouth Argyle now is is on the situation with Berry Football Club now. Um, where where are we at with with Berry Football Club? What's the situation looking like? Because obviously they're um, we're aware that they were expelled from League One, um, but I've not not heard. Certainly, it's been less in the public eye since then. What what's been going on? Is there any sort of update? Uh, so essentially, there's two more weeks until the next winding up pop petition which was adjourned for four weeks a fortnight ago on some very um tenuous grounds i should say um 99.9% of fans are expecting the result of that to be liquidation but then again they were expecting that from the last one and somehow it wasn't so it's really it's really it just seems to be as though um Steve Dale is trying in in as as mightily as he can to get it extend get it um sort of adjourned again till January. The the train of thought is that a a payment from the Premier League, a solidar I think it's a solidarity payment, um, is due even though obviously they were removed from the EFL in August, but a part there's a part payment still due and it's I think it's about three hundred thousand pounds. And then okay. that's also in January when I think the CVA, if, if you're aware of what that is, is the the payments of that are supposed to come into effect, the first payments. Okay. And Steve Dale himself listed himself as a creditor to the tune of about £2 million. Okay. Um, So people just think he's trying to sort of put one over HMRC, who are the lead petitioner in the winding up petition, to... um draw it out as long as possible so you can get at least a part payment from the from the CVA which is probably going to be under investigation soon as well <laughs> so yeah. um, if it isn't already um, a fraud investigation so mm. yeah that's kind of where we're at in terms of the old club uh, behind the scenes um, I'm one of over 300 people who are working on work, different working groups for a Phoenix club to be mm-hmm. set up which yep. has to um send its application into the FA and I think it would be the Northwest Counties League, which is like um, tier 9 and 10 of the English Football Pyramid. has to do that by January. I can't remember the exact date off the top of my head. So even that, even on that, the clock is ticking. But it's kind of this sort of sideshow almost of the winding up petition is kind of putting off some people and some people are still somehow thinking that the old club's going to survive and unless I, I just don't see how that's possible really 
from a business, from a financial sense or an, or any other sense. So, yeah, but... I guess while there's still technically the possibility, people are going to be be a little bit wary, aren't they? I mean, there were there were plans for Phoenix Club when Argyle had their financial problems. I think it was going to be at like Argyle FC or something like that. Oh right, um, yeah. No, the name hasn't been decided on yet, but it's highly unlikely that they're able to use just an. Just Barry Football Club would have to be a different name. Yeah. Is the, is the feeling, um, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but is the feeling that because obviously the turmoil that's gone on over the last sort of, I guess, year and a half, if you like, in uh, Barry Football Club, is the feeling that fans would rather the club liquidate now as such and start fresh or try yeah, and definitely. resurrect the yeah. new old club? and Just get it over with, basically. Yeah. Look, there are there are always going to be people, quite understandably, I'd say, who are going to associate the old club with all all the memories that they have of it, and you know, with going with family and friends and whatnot. But there's no reason why that couldn't continue with a new club. But there there are a few people, like like I just said, who are still sort of clinging on. But but yeah, I think if you look on social media every time there's a winding up petition, and <laughs> we know there's been plenty that. Every time it gets announced, people are hoping, actually hoping now, that it's going to get liquidated. Yeah, because it's almost painful, really, isn't it? Just it, it go on like this. It's like it's like uh, somebody on the on the deathbed, almost a loved one on the deathbed. And some people don't like that analogy, but having been through something similar myself, it is it is a bit like that. You just kind of think, well, they've suffered enough now, so you know, just why don't we just, you know, unfortunately, pull the Pull the plug. Why, why? Why prolong the suffering? At least something good might come out of doing yeah. so. Mm. Yeah, and there's there's plenty of Phoenix clubs that have, have well, uh, Phoenix clubs that have been successful. Um, so it's I, I'm <laughs> it's difficult to say, isn't it? Looking in, but I imagine there's an extent where once once the liquidation happens and phoenix club is set up it's then almost kind of a, well to an extent it's a little bit exciting isn't it because then you get to you get to start fresh and obviously though it's not where you'd like to be and it's not the ideal situation it's it's something isn't it because it's yeah exactly and, and it's a chance hopefully i mean it depends on what people decide and vote on but it's a chance for it to be fan owned and hopefully okay maybe maybe they'll be in non-league for the rest of my life but if they're still there at the end of that, mm. that's that's a success in a way because yeah. even yeah, before Steve yeah. Dale or Stuart Dave, and I mean pretty much my whole life's point of like twenty five years, there's never been one time when there hasn't been some sort of financial issue. I mean, not to say that in the nineties and early noughties there was anything untoward going on, but it's just it just exemplifies there was that much that little income if it wasn't a match day and that was what once every fortnight that. You know, there's always going to be an issue if, if like, it was a postponement or something. So I always think that we're uh, very lucky. When we when we went into administration and got very close to liquidating, it must be said, I always think we're very lucky to be in an area where there isn't many clubs. Whereas you're competing for so you know for so much in the northwest, the amount of clubs and there's only so many people that can go around, and many that many of those fans are going to support Manchester United, Manchester City. Etc. Etc. So, you know the fact that uh, clubs like Bury and and Rochdale, you know, and Oldham can compete at this level. You know, obviously you have your problems, and with Bury it's gone very wrong, and that's tragic, really. But the fact that you can compete at this level is quite amazing, really, if you think about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think year on year, it's, it, the um, the odds are getting stacked against that happening. Even Rochdale, who you mentioned there, are a very well-run club, relatively speaking, to most other clubs in League One, one or League Two. But even they're making a loss, and yeah. almost every club is making a loss. And there's only so long that can be sustained. Yeah, yeah. I think we've seen Oldham struggling as well, haven't we? Oh yeah, the the problems at Oldham aren't that dissimilar. That's yeah. what that's mm. that's my um feeling on it, and I've heard some inform- inside information about it, which mm. um sort of only solidifies that point of view. Yeah, Finn's right as well in terms of lucky the luck that we've got at Argyle in that there aren't the nearest competitors as a professional football club are an hour away. Um, so there's you've almost got well you do have a monopoly certainly within Plymouth, and then a lot of Cornwall as well. There's a massive Cornish supporter base um who follow Argyle. Um, so we do have that aspect and we were also fortunate in that for the last few years certainly the club's been very well run I'd be surprised if there's many in League 1 or League 2 who are now run, run better um, and we're trying to create a, a sustainable model um, I mean, the, the the new grandstand for example is a great example of that um, with the, the, the whole conferencing facilities because like you say when a, when you've got a football ground that it's difficult almost sometimes to, to justify the existence of a football ground, a ground that gets used once every two weeks max, and then that's only in the football season. So you've got a few months in the year when it's not used at all. Um, so the, the loss that it runs at can be quite extraordinary. So I think teams teams in League 1 and 2 need to need to, to look at those different sources of income. And it, it was obviously a massive priority for Argyle that, that they could try and create a source of income aside from just playing football matches because that's not not always enough yeah it's certainly a level of forward planning i think required across the board really particularly in these times where the gap between the top and the bottom is only getting bigger and bigger all the time i mean i i do feel you know we 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 often say it's a curse about locations to say oh you know the players that we don't want to come down this way but i think if you if you look at it in the main you look at our catchment area you look at how well the club is being run. I mean, despite the fact that we're, we're in the fourth tier and it's not particularly where we want to be, it, it, we're very, very lucky in a lot of ways to support mm-hmm. the club we do. And it only takes, you know, Peter coming on here to to, to speak about his club and the torrid time that, that they've gone through for us to recognise just how fortunate we were and how close yeah. that was to being us. And I mean, you know, it, it, it's encouraging to see. I think that there are plans for a Berry Phoenix club in, in the offing, if you like. And I, I do hope at least something by the start of next season will go through to allow all of Berry support yeah. to, to get behind a club again and hopefully make a success of it. I mean, we've seen Wimbledon. We've seen, what was it? I think Bournemouth and Swansea were both very close to going out of the door, weren't they? And now look at Hereford them. Hereford so, are now back in the Conference South as well. So they're working their that, way back yeah. up. That's the Phoenix club. Yeah. So I mean, there's, there's a lot of success stories. And I think if, if, if Berry fans get their heads together, it certainly seems like that's what's going on considering how we've noticed that well-run clubs can do very well, and I'm certainly hoping the same happens to our club in, in the years to come, I mean, there, there's a, a lot of success that can be had. And I mean, uh, it, it, we we have to wish the best of luck, but I mean, it, it, it's something that you'd like to hope with, with the right amount of planning. There could be there could be back mm. in the Football League before too long. Yeah, is there is there any way for, for any Argyle fans listening to this or who read Argyle Life, any way that they could support what's happening um, with the with the new Phoenix club, I don't know some people like to offer financial or 
um, this will be a public launch in a few weeks, a proper public launch. There is a social media account. I don't think there's a particular page to donate or anything like that yet. So mm-hmm. but that... I suspect by the second week of December or so, there'll have to be something live, especially if the old club do, do get liquidated, as I say. I think mm-hmm. it's the 4th of December, that verdict. So we'll have to see. Yeah. But yeah, just wait a few weeks and there should be, there'll probably be quite a big... Um, media interest in in the whole thing again mm. i think yeah okay we'll, we'll we'll keep an eye on that then and uh hopefully get that publicized on on our god live for a little bit as well throughout the podcast and, and maybe a piece as well um but yeah, yeah nick I will do. be all over that nick will be all over that yeah i love it <laughs> couldn't come on the bloody podcast tonight though could he to talk about it <laughs> um anyway we're nearly at 45 minutes so we'll do is we'll go over to we'll go over some uh, little little predictions ahead of Bradford, um, and then we'll we'll wrap up. Um, so predictions for Bradford, uh, Finn, what are you thinking? Yeah, I would just like to point out that I was correct with my uh, score prediction <laughs> on Saturday. <Very> so, <laughs> um, nice. I'm just going to go for a one-all draw. I think. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough game. Let's see if Finn can make it to a two. Adam? I can see another two all coming, personally. Yeah, goals Ooh. at each end. Oh, um, a good game to watch, at least. And uh, as you hear, Peter, Plymouth Argyle versus Bradford. Yeah, I, I, I did a tactical analysis of Bradford on my blog last month. They looked pretty strong down the flanks. And I think, again, it's going to come down to that. Um, I think Callum Fadzine, uh, I think he only had a dead leg. So, so he told me anyway. So hopefully right. he'll. Be oh, back. I didn't. That's exclusive because I didn't know that. That's good. He, he told me that on Twitter yesterday. But um, so yeah, keep that one under your hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it's going to come down to that a lot because um, they play they play a flat four and wingers as well. So you know, there's potential there to be doubled up on on both sides, and the better, more adventurous side, should I say, than Forest Green could exploit that more so I'm going to say 2-1 Bradford oh big cool big cool coming on an Argyle podcast and predicting an Argyle <laughs> loss don't worry I'll do it every week anyway um, but this week oh we're in good form uh, I don't think anyone's predicted an Argyle win have they so I'll go I'll go 2-0 two, two Argyle um, the back three to keep up their, their good form and um, we'll, we'll see what happens Um Right, anything else anyone wants to add before we wrap up? I think that's just about everything. Fantastic. Oh, just to say, sorry, I saw uh, I actually saw Bristol Rovers in person a few weeks ago. So if they do if Plymouth do get drawn against them in the second round of the FA Cup, I can give you the lowdown on on them. (laughs) We'll have to get you back on for uh, for a little preview. Ideal. Okay, uh, so that's the end of the show. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget that you can subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes. Just check out Green and White on those platforms. Uh, and also don't forget you can check out Peter, Bury Me in Exile, uh, Bury Me in Exile on Twitter or buryminexile.com. Uh, if you want to have a look at his website, there is um, analysis and reports on there um, and some manga-based stuff recently as well, if that's the sort of thing you'd like to check out. Um, from all of us here at Argyle Life, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.